Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. I have a quote for you. Households headed by unmarried partners grew by almost 72% during the past decade. A third of all babies were born to unmarried women. 33% compared to 3.8% in 1940. The nuclear family is in a meltdown. The God-ordained institution, which has prevailed in almost every culture on earth for more than five years, 5,000 years, is unraveling right in front of our eyes. Basically, what we have is a fatherless generation. Sociologist Peter Carl, because boys spend 80% of their time with women, they don't know how to act like men when they grow up. I want to minister this evening on discipling a fatherless generation. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse number 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastising, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastising, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastising seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained or discipled by it. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. God, I pray that you would raise up, God, a generation of men and women God, full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Men and women whose hearts, God, burn with kingdom purpose. Men and women whose passions, God, reach not only into this life, but into eternity. God, give us revival. Give us men and women, God, that we can send to the nations. By your grace, I pray in Jesus' name. No doubt you're aware this evening there's a subtle strategy against manhood. But you see, God has a design for men. Genesis 1, 28, he spoke to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. 
Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's a statement about man's identity. He says, I want you to overcome. I want you to defeat. I want you to conquer. I want you to rule and reign. I want you to lead. In other words, he said, I've called and designed you to advance the kingdom of God. This is true in family. It's true in church. It's true in God's kingdom. We are called tonight to conquest, Matthew 16, 18. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the army of the Lord. As we march along, we sing our song and all of those. That's out of Matthew 16, 18. And it depicts man's role, 2 Timothy 2, 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So here's a number of scriptures and many more that depicts God's man um, as a soldier. Um, uh, He's called to conquest. Um, He's going forth. He's engaging the enemy to liberate those held captive. Jesus said, I came to set at liberty them that are bruised and open prison doors to those who are bound. This is a picture of a liberator. You've probably seen footage in various things at the end of World War II when they would, uh, across Asia and Europe, they opened these uh, these uh, stockades and uh, these prisons and these soldiers that had been held captive and stripped of dignity, uh, skin and bones, many of them. And this is the picture. It's a picture Jesus says, I'm going to war and I call you to go with me. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God to pulling down strongholds. In Timothy again he said any man going to war um, these are terms about waging your warfare they're terms of conflict um, and battle Um, uh, there's hostilities there's resistance um, there's struggle and so you cannot escape this listen to me men and women you cannot escape this reality of the conflict of life there's an enemy who resists I preached a sermon I don't know 15, 20 years ago, the devil surrenders no ground freely. Ephesians 6, that great text on the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, against rulers of God, against spiritual hosts. Um, 13, able to withstand in the evil day to stand, stand therefore. In other words, Paul again, this is a picture um, of a military man uh, who will not forsake his post. Um, It's a picture of a military man going to war engaging principalities and powers with the armor of God upon him Uh, the Roman soldiers uh, during Paul's day had conquered the known world advancing the empire Paul picks this up and he said this is your call this is your commission this is what you're designed to do Joshua Joshua 1, he's on the border of inheritance. Uh, 
The land is filled with wall cities and giants. There's the Amalekites and all of those, the Philistines, it's on and on. Pictures of the flesh, pictures of the demonic, uh, pictures of cultural resistance, um, uh, pictures of false, all of this. um, And he said, Joshua, here's the inheritance of the people of God. I've given it to you. But then he says these words, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given it. Joshua, it's your inheritance. I've given you a promise, but you have to take the land. You have to go forth, you have to drive out the enemy and establish dominion. And right there he met a man with his sword drawn um, and he said, are you for us or for our adversary? And he caught a revelation of Jesus Christ, the commander of the host of the Lord. In Revelations, Jesus comes again, um, his vesters covered with blood. Um, He comes riding on a horse with the saints and the armies of God with him. And so you cannot escape the revelation, um, uh, especially men this evening, We're called to conquest and to conquer. We're called to go forth. I was watching my grandchildren. Of course, they were quite smaller. I can still remember it. Uh, Daniel, Richard, and Caitlin. They're boys, and they're down playing by the pond, and they got a canoe there. Caitlin, she wants to just sail around in the canoe. Joy life, tranquil, peaceful. These boys can't stand it. The first thing you know, they've turned over the canoe. They got mud balls. There's a fort. There's a war going on. It's in their DNA. Thank God. Male aggression is critical to advancing God's kingdom. I want to quote, we have a generation of school children that have been taught that conflict is something to be avoided. Parents and teachers have been cautioned by psychologists and feminists alike that male aggression is this wild and malignant force that needs to be repressed or medicated, lest it burst out as it is always on the verge of doing in murderous behavior entered Prozac and all the other drugs that's filled young men today. But I want to tell you, men are designed to be aggressive and competitive. They love cars, trucks, guns, balls, contact sports. I was in England, I remember, with Nigel Brown, and England's filled with the whole feminist insanity. Uh, Nigel and Carol, I'm at their house and several other pastors are there and, and I just preached this sermon in their Bible conference. And one of the pastor's wives, uh, she's there and she said, you Americans, you're all about guns. Uh, I said, absolutely. I had a few myself. And she said, we don't like guns over here. And she says, my boy, I've trained him to never like guns. As she's speaking, he's pulled a carrot out of the tray there, they had this entree, and he's got a carrot. He's shooting anything that will move with that carrot. I said, Mom, you've already lost the battle. Look at him right now. 
made in the likeness and the image of God. I'm not talking about um, uh, uh, violence. I'm not talking about beating your wife. Um, I'm not talking about any of those. The reason why men are so aggressive and it's broken out of bonds, um, uh, one, is because they're fatherless. Two, um, is because they have no vision or purpose in life. I just throw that in. But you are made in the likeness and image of God. This aggression prepares you to provide, protect, build, and conquer. To go forth and adventure. He thirsts for conquest. A challenge. A cause. I remember years ago we were building a barn. And the shell of that barn was there. It had a loft in it. It was up probably, I don't know, 14 feet high. And the, the skeletons there, there's a floor, there's some posts, there's studs, there's, and there's a roof on it, but you can see through it. Richard, he's just a little guy at that time. He's probably six, seven years old. He's up in that barn. And I'm watching him, and he goes over to the, he's wanting to jump. It's in him. He's looking. His sister's down there, Caitlin. She's discouraging him with all that's in her. She's waving at him. She's pleading, no, Richard, no, Richard. She's hollering, Mom, Mom, he's going to jump. Pretty soon he disappears back in the barn. He comes, his little skinny legs are pumping, and he shoots out into eternity. Um, he thinks he's going to fly. He comes crashing to the earth. Um, uh, his knees hit the ground. There's grass stains. There's dirt. His head popped. Um, his sister's running to console him. He jumps up, throws his hands in the air. Ah! It's in him. It's victory. God give us men like that. This is a must for advancing God's kingdom. Matthew eleven twelve. 12. In case you don't know it's there. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. In other words, spiritual advancement is depending upon you exercising and taking dominion. This is not just a proclamation. This is a demonstration. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Jesus said, cast out devils. He said, confront and judge sin. He said, if you take up any serpents or deadly things, they'll not harm you. 1 Corinthians 2.4, my speech and my preaching, Paul said, were not with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. The problem, the feminist movement with its liberal allies, the media, universities, teachers union, entertainment industry, there's this all-out assault against males. The message has tried to be communicated. Men are fools. They're immature. They're weak, selfish, violent with a capital V. This is pumped. The sitcoms, the commercials, the classroom. I flew a lot last year. I've kind of pulled back this year, but I remember, uh, you know, they upgrade me to business because I fly so much. They'll just, it's a complimentary upgrade. And so you've got your own private little TV there, and they got, I don't know, 20 or 30 movies, and he's international. You're so bored. So once in a while, they got some sports and other things. So I'll just look at it. And every movie just drives me nuts. 
because they all dad is this buffoon and the kids you know these kids uh, uh, barely out of diapers they're superstars they're saving the planet they're saving mom and dad they can barely wipe themselves and they're you know and but dad is always and it's mom and the kids well I want to tell you that's not bible Leo reports that up until recently, the 3M company put out post-it notes printed with a message, men have only two faults, everything they say and everything they do. Hallmark cards went further with a greeting card that said, men are scum. Excuse me, for a second there, I was feeling generous. Then there was the American greeting cards that said on the front, men are always whining about how we are suffocating them. The inside punchline, personally, I think, if you can hear them whining, you're not pressing hard enough on the pillow. Now, now what do you think would happen if a company had that joke about killing women? Young boys aren't spared the feminist rhetoric and attack. In the Boston area elementary school, nobody objected when the girls wore T-shirts emblazed with girls' rules. Or when they taunted taunted boys with a chant that goes, boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider. Girls go to college to get more knowledge. But when the boys emblazed their shirts with boys are good, there was a protest. One of the teachers began to wear a button, so many men, so little intelligence. You see it in the world. You see a church world today that's being invaded and run by women. I mentioned this morning, these people, uh, you know, various reasons and husbands had to move or whatever the reasons, and they've been in other churches, and they come back and over and over and over, they say, Pastor, women run and do everything in the church. Added to this is a fatherless generation. That means there's no father or he's absent or he's not involved. He could care less. He's got his own, and and mom, you raise the kids. And so what we have today is a generation of disciples in the church they've been raised by their mother. All they've ever known is a feminine climate, and I'm not blaming mothers. Listen to me carefully. Many of you, it's what you had to do. It's not what you wished. It's not what you desired. Some cases, many cases, it was forced on you by abandonment or sin or et cetera. But regardless, there's still consequences. I quote, having never been boys, women have only a vague notion of how to go about rearing one. The tendency is to raise and relate to their sons out of their own experience as a girl. Tell you something about boys. At about the age of three to five, he'll begin to pull away from his mom and his sisters, and he wants to gravitate to his father. He wants to gravitate to adult males. And in this, he formulates his masculine identity. There's something within God's design and his DNA that begins to nudge him out of the nest toward his father. I, I was with Nigel Brown, and he has a little boy. A great kid, and, and when I preached this course, like I said, it's about nine years ago, and uh, we're there, and and uh, and 
it's it's late. We're going to go out and eat. And his mom's, you know, son, listen, listen. And she's pressing him to go home. You need to go to sleep. You need to, and he's wanting to go with, he said, Mom, I want to go with the men. I mean, just a little guy, you know. And, uh, and I heard him. And so I came to his defense. I threw my spiritual seniority into the ring. And to this day, that boy loves me. I can go to England. I, Nigel will come. I see him around the world, Australia conference. He's preached here. We're in India together, and Nigeria, different places. I go there, see him at Prescott. He'll be at Prescott, um, and he'll come, and uh, he'll send greetings from his boy. This is God's design. And so what happens um, He's developing his identity, behavior, and mannerisms. And when the father is absent, I quote again, the boy has only a vague notion of what it means to be male. Boys living with single mothers are left to formulate their masculine identity out of thin air. The results, he grows up, does not know how to act and behave. He comes more and more, if you're not careful, like an adult child. It's where you get all the terms today, the adults. He has a gender identity crisis because there was no father. If he's not very careful, he'll begin to view and relate to life with feminine characteristics. What I mean, he'll begin to relate through his emotions. At an article, NBA, super sensitive, handle with care, high maintenance athletes who expect preferential treatment. One coach said they must be catered and stroke constantly. They have this driving need for reaffirming who they are, their high maintenance. They need constant emotional support. They're insecure, moody, and sensitive. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, old school, both tried to coach in the NBA. Both of them said the super sensitive, sulking, high dollar, handle with care. I'm out of there. I'm a coach, not a nursemaid. Signing bonuses, you, you see them when they play. Mom's normally in the stand. I'm not, listen to me, mothers. I, I know. Thank God you're there. But you see them talk about, I'm going to buy mom a house. It's mom this and mom that. And that's wonderful. But my thought always comes to my mind, where's dad? Now, I don't know. I don't keep up with all the latest stuff. But, but when I preach this, the emo star. Major labels are scurrying to land the emo talent. Emo is about feelings. It's dashboard confessionals. Emo is short for emotion. Their songs are screaming confessionals. Emotionally, highly sensitive kids that can't let things go. So here's, here's men now, and something's developed. They carry grudges, hold offenses for years, emotionally overreact, hypersensitive, touchy. They take everything in life personally. I've tried to disciple men, and uh, they isolate, won't talk, cut you off. 
They can't deal with any kind of criticism or correction. They bond emotionally rather than by cause, team and truth. One coach in Phoenix said, these boys are so different today. They don't bond in ability, talent, or team pride, but emotion and sensitivity. I see this in marriage. I counsel marriages sometimes, and the man tries to out-emotional his wife. You know, I expect her, but I mean, uh, and so, you know, she's, she's emotional. And stuff. The next thing I know, he says, shoot, I'm going to let you outdo me. And, you know, he's in the fetal position in my office, you know, and, and crying, you know, and carrying on. And, and, and you know, I'm exaggerating. I want to say, hey, get up, be a man. What's wrong with you? My dad would be embarrassed you doing acting that way. What's wrong with you? Hey there, Sermon Podcast listeners. This is Pastor Adam back with you again. Wanted to just take a second here to thank you once again for listening to this Sermon Podcast. We've had an explosive rate of growth and listenership for the past few weeks, and we hope that you appreciate these daily sermons to encourage you and help you. I just want to share a couple of ratings that we've gotten in the Apple Podcast application Clint B. writes a five-star review. He said, I am so grateful for our fellowship. Thank you. This podcast, very helpful through the day. Uh, Bobby Sanford from North Carolina said, inspiring. Awesome to hear sermons that are encouraging and inspiring to the church. Uh, We could really use your help to add a couple more of these very helpful reviews. Uh, These do help us to get the word out about this podcast. I want you to know that we have a truly worldwide impact with this podcast from the United States to the UK, Australia, Ireland, Germany, New Zealand, South Africa, Netherlands, Canada, Romania, Afghanistan, Namibia, Vietnam, Switzerland, Kenya, India, Russia, Hong Kong, Ghana, Uganda, Guam, Meritus, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Zambia, Japan, Jamaica, Malaysia, Israel, Ukraine. The list goes on and on of nations that are listening to these sermons. So we just want to say thank you for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you're sharing these when you hear a good one. And please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review of what you like about this podcast. Thank you again for listening, and back to the rest of the sermon. Samson. His father is pretty much a non-identity. The angel came to his mother. And it's interesting, he can never relate to men. It's always females. I quote again, because they're insecure in their identity as men. Their insecurity causes them to constantly need to be reassured and supported in their affections And they bond seemingly more easily with the feminine gender. I observe this. I'm an observer. I watch people. I'm amazed sometimes. I sit on the platform and I watch young men. And they're more comfortable with five, six, seven, eight girls than with other men. That's because they've been raised. There's been no men in their lives. Here's Samson, it's his head's always in Delilah's lap or somewhere. He has to constantly be reaffirmed who he is. 
be 50 years old and still wanting to be mothered. We, you've heard some of the sermons. They won't leave home. So one family had to sue their 42-year-old son to get him out of the house. <laughs> See, and you, if you believe all the feminist and all of the uh, cycle uh, garbage, uh, psychology and all the goobly gop and all of that, I'm telling you, you'll be weird and strange in God's eyes. It'll be something, something r- very odd about you. All of this really complicates the process of discipleship because the killer is when it comes to correction. Women correct mostly by trying to diffuse or discuss. I can remember my mother. Son, listen listen to me. Listen to me, son. Let, 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 me, let me talk to you. And, and I, I, she'd want to discuss. Listen. Dialogue. Negotiate. She wanted to correct by emotions many times. And now listen, this belongs to your sister. You know that belongs to your sister. You, you, you know that, son. You know it's not right for you to have her things. You know this really upsets her. And she, I'm nodding my head. Meant nothing. <laughs> My dad come in, son, listen, listen to me, boy. Look me in the eye. Look at me. Quit, quit fidgeting around. Look at me. If you touch your sister's stuff again, it's going to be pain. I understood that wonderfully. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about abuse, but listen to me. God said, you spare the rod, you do wicked things to the child. I want to tell you something. Listen to me, moms and dads. If you don't discipline your children, somewhere they will resent and disrespect you. Listen to me. I've I've lived a long time. I've watched people. If you don't discipline your kids, love is discipline. If you don't set boundaries on their life, not just when you're angry or upset, but you set boundaries and teach them that you're going to live in these boundaries in this house. If you don't do that, and mom and dad, they, they, they argue and fight and back and forth and the kid plays one against the other and runs through the breach. They grow up, they'll resent you. And if you're not very careful... They'll turn on you. They'll speak ill of you. They'll have no respect. They will disrespect you. The reason why is you violated their training and their development as a human being. You failed them before God. And they will many times, it's a strange thing. It's a very strange twist of the human personality. Men, discipline by confrontation. And you know what this teaches? This teaches boys to control themselves. And it teaches them the ability to stand. Just because I can hear my dad saying today, 
Son, no one around here feels sorry for you. Get over it. I, I can hear him long dead. Son, get out of that bed. What do you think this is, a, a hotel? He, he did not cater to any tantrums, attitudes, sulking, pouting, emotional. That's, listen, men, that's girly stuff. You do that. Good thing we're not in a men's discipleship class right now. Life's filled with hard knocks. And the problem with the fatherless generation, most of them has never been corrected by man. They get saved, and the first time you're confronted, no, you're wrong. And thank God we've broken through that, and there's all kinds of excellent young men. Messing, I love these young men. This morning, Craig, he's, you know, they taunt me. They love to taunt me. He, he come to me this morning. He's, he's here cleaning. He's got this muscle shirt on, you know. He says, how would you like it, Pastor, if I took the offering this morning with this on? He taunt me, you know. I looked at him and said, Craig, I'd slap your face. And so I, him and Ryan and, uh, and Oscar, a bunch of them, they all laugh. You know, they love it. They love to torment the old man. But what he don't know, I was being honest. <laughs> oh, put that in your pipe. <laughs> Had a young man come in my office just, just a few days ago, actually, a couple, three days ago. Excellent young man, and he said, Pastor, he's a single young man in his 20s. He said, uh, he said I, I, really, I really need you to help me. I could tell he's very serious, and I said, how can I help you? He said, well, he said, I've been raised by my mother, my aunties, and all. And he said, I, I need a man to help me be a man. What a privilege. But if you're not careful, if you've never been confronted like a man confronts, when he corrects, you interpret that that he doesn't care about me. He doesn't support me. You're against me. You run away in this shell of self-pity. You don't understand me. Fatherless men many times view correction as rejection. You don't know what I'm going through. I want to close. Correction is the rite of passage for discipleship. In our text in Hebrews, if you endure chastising, God deals with you as with sons. Verse 8, but if you are without chastising, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Now, chastising sounds wonderful until it's you being corrected. By nature, we don't like correction. And he says in the text, There's no, this is not joyful for the present, but painful. It's not a good feeling, but he says it triggers deep down in our personality, holiness and righteousness. This word chastised means to be put in place, to set straight, 
the process of making right. It's like setting a bone. Had numbers of broken bones. Arms broke when I was a kid. One time I lied to my dad. There was these horses in this field, and I loved riding these horses. Didn't have a saddle or anything. They're big old workhorse. I'd get them, man, and I'd, I had a had a little rope. I'd put it around their their nozzle, and I'd whatever. I'd climb up on a fence. Anything. I love. I'd get on them things, and and man, I would, you know, wonderful. Me and a friend of mine. I'm behind him, and we're riding these horses. I told my dad. I lied to him. I said I'm gonna go pick some blackberries. He said okay, and but really, I threw that bucket under a bush, and I ran for those horses. We're riding this old horse and I'm behind my friend and, and we're going to go under this tree and I'm going to reach up and I'm going to grab this limb. I'm going to be a hero. We're riding this horse. You know, it's an old horse. It's nothing smooth. No canter to it or none of these things. You know, it's like being on a trampoline. And so I, I go up and I start and the limb hits me right here. I go over backwards. I get up. My arm is like this. It's broken. Time I get home, I'm probably a mile from home. I walk home, crossing barbed wire fences. My friend said I was crying, Mom, half a mile away. <laughs> I rebuke that. <laughs> but I'll never forget, we went to this old doctor. His name was Dr. Kuntz, and he was a horse doctor. I mean, uh, we're in his bedroom, and um, my brother's there, my mom's there, my dad. The doctor, his wife, they got me on his bed. And I mean, I'm in a lot of pain by now. I'm sweating. I can remember it. And he's going to set this. And we're talking, you know, they're going to give me ether. Uh, Those days they give you ether and knock you out, you know. And I'm fighting. I don't want to take ether. And, And so it's a big chaos. And my dad says, Doc, just set the bone." My brother grabbed me. He's 10 years older than me, my mom. And he pulled. And I'm telling you, that's what it means to be corrected. That's what that word means in the Greek. It means to be set straight. But you know what my dad understood? If that bone was not corrected, I would be impaired for life. I knew this old farm hand. He, he lived with an old lady named Miss Tanner. His name, you can tell I'm from the hills, uh, uh, Froggy Burns. I can still remember his name. Both of his hands, both of his hands were crooked. Both of his hands. I mean, his arm come down and his hands were over and they were, it was odd, just odd. And I asked him one time, I'm a little boy. You know how little boys, you'll ask anything. You're, I was very curious. And I called him by name, and I said, Mr. Burns, I said, well, what happened here? He said, I got him caught in farm equipment when I was younger. And so here was a man that, and he was impaired. There were things he couldn't do. Uh, He worked and stuff, um, but I watched him. It was a disability. It was a hindrance. And this is what God understands about you and I as men. This is what being corrected or women If you're not corrected, if you're not set straight, then in life it impairs you. You'll never be the person God would have you to be. You'll be warped. You'll be kinked. You'll be twisted. And you can be sitting here tonight and you're filled with the latest 
cosmopolitan and all the junk that the world pumps. But I'm telling you what God says. And you can pump that stuff and pump it. And I know the schools, the media, the entertainment world, and a whole generation, they promoted and exalted this stuff. But God says, if I can't correct you, you're illegitimate. How do you respond when you're corrected or rebuked? You can harden your neck, Proverbs 29.1. He who is often rebuked hardens his neck. This means you defend yourself. You complain, not fair, it's not right. I don't deserve this. And then you twist and become critical. Ah, stupid. He, he, who does he think he is? It's not my fault. What right do they have? Finally, you become callous. I'll have to take that. You get an attitude. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I do what I want. You can sit here tonight, call yourself a disciple, but if you can't be corrected, listen to Proverbs 5.11. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. Verse 12, 13. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin. Listen to this. In the midst of of the assembly and congregation. Here's a man sitting in the midst of God's assembly. He said, I'm on the verge of total ruin because I hate instruction and I despise correction. Paul says, listen, if you have the right attitude about correction, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit. It's for your profit you become partakers in the holiness of God. If you're not careful, you have a mindset, if I'm corrected, it means I'm less a person. I'll tell you about the ministry. One, don't take yourself too serious. Don't believe your own flyers. <laughs> and you can't take everything in life personal. Listen, you, you, that, that'll carry you so far down in life. Today's society, they talk about all these soft values, the sensitivity, tolerance, relativism, non-judgmental, self-esteem. Everybody owes you all of these kinds of things. I want to tell you, there's seasons of life where God says correction is going to be the theme of this chapter. What will you do right then? I want to give you a little southern humor. I'm done. It's an old, old story. It's about a rebellious sparrow. A winter was approaching in Canada. And so the, the snows, the storms, inclement weather's coming. It's a time when sparrows head south. The parents of this young sparrow came and said, Son, get your things in order. We're headed south. Young Sparrow thought, hey, I'm sick of them telling me what to do. I'm going to stay a while. Day to depart came. The parents tried to persuade the young Sparrow. Finally, it was time to leave, but he wouldn't listen. At first, everything was wonderful. He had the entire village to himself. There was no curfew. There was no authority. Got to go through their things that were left. 
but it soon began to get cold. This young sparrow said to himself, I better start flying, but I'm young. I can fly hard and fast, and I'll catch up with the flock. He began his journey. It wasn't long somewhere over North Dakota. His wings began to ice up, and he plummeted to the ground and landed in this muddy barnyard. He's freezing in the mud. He begins to whimper, I'm going to die. It's cold. I should have listened to my father. An old cow thought it was strange to see a sparrow whimpering. He walked by and dropped a pile <laughs> on that sparrow. First the sparrow thought it couldn't get any worse. I'm dying and now I'm covered in poo-poo. But he soon realized he began to warm up. And he began to chirp with joy. The old farm cat heard him. So that's a strange sound coming out of a cow pile. He went over and picked the little sparrow up, began to clean him off, and the sparrow says, Wow, it's wonderful. And then he ate him. The moral of that story not everyone who poops on you is your enemy, everyone that picks you up and seemingly helps you is not your friend. And for the Lord's sake, when you're warm and happy in a pile of poop, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Would you give God praise? (laughs) We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, Would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.